Welcome to Josh's Worst Nightmare Oddcast, presented by Denver Horror Collective. I'm your host, author Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we're being jabbed by Douglas Ford. Douglas Ford is the author of a best-selling novel from D&T Publishing, The Beasts of Viseria County, as well as The Reattachment, Little Lugosi, A Love Story, and the upcoming short novel, The Trick, due in 2023 from Madness Heart Press. His short stories have appeared in several anthologies and magazines, as well as two collections, Ape in the Ring and Other Stories of the Macabre and Uncanny, and most recently, the Infection Party, and other stories of dis-ease. His work has been described as disturbing, dripping with atmosphere, and claustrophobically frightening. He lives just off an interstate exit made famous by a Jack Ketchum story. Welcome to my nightmare, Doug. Thank you. And I, actually, I should mention, I'm playing host to a, a cold, cold right now. So actually, this is perfect. You know? I need to try to get my guests on when they're sick. So that's actually my goal. <laughs> so I did have a guest. That's, that could not be more perfect. Thank you for planning yeah. it that way. I did an episode on COVID and I made sure to get somebody who actively was sick with COVID. So oh, that's uh, funny. Following in, in that yeah. tradition. So for folks who know or who don't, obviously on Josh's Worst Nightmare, I invite on horror authors to talk about an aspect of biological horror, which I very broadly define as living creatures and vital processes, somehow irrelevant to their writing. So this episode, we're going to talk about immunity. Now, the disclaimer is neither of us are medical professionals. We are horror authors. I do have some science writing background, but I am not trained to give medical advice. None of us are. And frankly, if you're getting medical advice from a podcast, you get what you deserve. So <laughs> that's all I got to say about that. But before getting into the immunity topic, so something we have in common, actually times two, which I didn't reason, realize until now. So DNT Publishing both published our works. Mm -hmm. So my novella, Moline, was published by DNT Publishing and your right. Beast of Vasari, as well as Infection Party, right? Yep, that's right. Yep. And your new book is going to be coming out from Madness Heart Press, The Trick, in 2023. My novel, Charwood, will be coming out from Madness Heart Press in 2023. Oh, great. Great. And I have a, another title, uh, more of a novelette at the end, near the end of the year coming out from uh, DNT as well. Awesome. Uh, the dead cats of civilization. So that'll be a you know on the distant horizon. Well, you are very prolific, and that is a great thing to see. So good on you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so yeah, all right. Let's get into the topic of immunity. So the reason I brought you on is because of the book, which I have yet to read, but I do plan to. And I say this to all my guests, and it's usually true. It's just. I've been doing or I had been doing these weekly and it's like literally impossible to read every single book, but the infection party and other stories of dis-ease. So what made you want to write that? Uh, well, th thank you for calling me prolific. I think um, I, I think the writers have been falling into two camps since the pandemic. You know, some of us just kind of, you know, I don't want to say fell apart, but our our output definitely 
slowed down. I don't think that was my case. I think I picked up a little bit. Me too. And um, I I did a lot of writing during the um, at the in the early stages of the pandemic, including a story called "The Infection Party," uh, which I wrote. It, it was originally in a DNT anthology of uh, political horror stories, and um, I realized when I was this is my second collection, and these particular stories subconsciously, I think a lot of them involved some kind of sickness. And um, I ended up, when I was organizing the collection, I realized that, you know, intuitively, I felt like the infection party needed to start the collection. And it wasn't until I started to put the other stories in place, and, and some of the stories go all the way back to the early 2000s, um, that I realized that I had a theme, more or less. And I it, the, the book is bookended with um, two pandemics. And the this the last story is is was pre-COVID. It was written in um, I think 2004 about a um, an imaginary pandemic. And um, I'm especially interested in how people react to it. And in terms of infections, I I think they in some cases, of course, it becomes metaphoric. I'm interested in how people uh, are you know, how ideas, for instance, can become infectious. And um, a little bit of the Burroughs idea, I guess, of the language as a virus interests me as a writer. So this thematically, loosely, um, disease is a connecting tissue of these stories. Yeah, well, I love that. I mean, I'm somebody who was writing about pandemics and I, both in journalism as well as fiction, years and years before, I mean, we knew they were coming. I mean, they were happening and we knew more were coming and this won't be the last one. But so obviously I do think that it's important to write about that. I mean, it fits perfectly into the horror world. Some traumatic event that's going on in the world with all these repercussions is something that's obviously worthy of being written about. But I do think some of the most interesting aspects are equally interesting is what you said, that the metaphoric aspects of what what other things can be seen as virus i mean humans can be seen as viruses on the planet as a really negative view but one that can hold up to a certain degree there the like you said language can be seen as that you get an idea out there and quote infects it can be in a good way and mm -hmm. of course a lot of virus bacteria more i would say bacteria and microbes are actually vast majority are either positive or neutral. So it doesn't have to be always a negative thing, but as horror authors, we're going to lean in that direction, of course. Yeah. And, you know, the whole idea of body horror, of course, is, you know, it, that's such a central idea. And thinking about the, um, I'm stealing this from the title of something from Time Magazine or something, but the body is an ecosystem anyway. You know, we are, you know, what how we define selfhood we have to think about it in terms of all the organisms and bacteria and other things that occupy our our body at the same time share it with us so it fast that fascinates me as a writer very much yeah so do you do you worry about disease a lot or are you somebody oh, who's yeah. different <laughs> yeah i'm not quite a germaphobe um but i think about it a lot because especially as you know you get older you start to become more vulnerable to to you know whatever's going around and i in my other life i teach i'm a college professor 
So I'm constantly, you know, with students and of course they're, you know, things are floating around. And, um, but like I said, I'm not a germaphobe. I haven't gone off the deep end with it necessarily, but it's definitely something that preoccupies me at times for sure. I think I'm in a similar boat. I'm definitely not a germaphobe, but I am a term that I actually appropriated from some other thing, virus conscious. <laughs> oh, what, yeah. I saw that once. I used it in a novel. I wrote a novel. Some of my listeners might remember. I wrote a novel that I never got published and it probably never will be published. And it was basically inspired by the H1N1 pandemic, mm -hmm. which people cared about for like literally one week yeah. and then didn't. And I actually thought for about five days that the world was ending. This was uh, years ago in uh, 2009, I believe it was. And I, I remember having a thought like, well, what if we humans are just here as transport mechanisms for viruses? Like what mm -hmm. if that's our, and that somehow gave me comfort in a weird way. And so I wrote a book about basically a cult a religious order that worships viruses as gods and we contract it and spread it to get up in the thing. And I use this term virus conscious. They called one another, if you were, I guess, saved, you were VC, virus conscious. And I took that term from, I remember seeing in some personal ads somewhere, somebody saying, you know, the expectations of the partner to be virus conscious, which was probably like, do you have STDs, STIs and whatever? And that just stuck in my head. So just thought that was worth mentioning. No one will ever read that novel because uh, it's it won't be published. <laughs> it's a cool idea though, and it it's kind of there's a kind of a sort of a similar idea that that runs through two of the stories of of the infection party, uh, the two bookended two stories bookending the collection, which is that you know having sharing a virus connects us, and it connects us to something beatific or something numinous and something that can is larger than ourselves and it's i don't define it quite as a deity or anything but it's that sense that we have to share the virus and it's good to to pass it along and um to me that's that's horrifying because i don't want a virus but there there's a certain inevitability to it that my characters often you know confront so I like that idea, though, that it's the the virus is the deity. That's really cool. Just accepting that. And and I mean, the evolution of things in our body do come from microbes or whatever. So it's really not mm -hmm. that far off. You know, I had it in a basically like panic driven fever dream, but it's just like, you know what, that's as accurate as any, any theory. But so in your book, you mentioned something about uh chicken pox parties so right. back to the immunity thing so obviously we'll talk a little bit about that i mean people know what chicken pox parties are but maybe just lay that down what that mm -hmm. is and you mentioned the H h1n1 i think during that period flu parties were becoming oh really you know, apparently becoming popular and some of this is apocryphal whether or not this was actually happening it's kind of like the infection parties that were happening, allegedly happening in the early days of the pandemic, um, they you there were reports of them were sneaking into sources like the New York Times, but we later debunked and said yeah. this is really a you know this is really an urban legend, this is folklore, which in itself is a kind of infection too, you know where we have right. these, yeah, 
And um, I was fascinated by that, just the idea that people would gather with the intention of, of getting, and you mentioned the pox parties, people do that to get chicken pox originally as a way of, you know, resisting the, the vaccine, which, you know, you know, medical professionals will recommend you get the, the vaccine. But the, the party was considered an alternative to that, that if you get your kids together, get the chicken pox at a young age, then everything will be great. But then that doesn't count for, you know, the, the rare instances of children who have some kind of awful reaction to it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, because when I was a kid, I mean, I, we're probably similar age. I don't think there was a chicken pox vaccine. Like you did just. No, there wasn't. So that idea back then was less an anti-vaccine thing and more just like, let's get it yeah. now, I guess. And mm-hmm. like I had a heavier case, not real bad. And then my sister had a, a lighter case. I remember that. I don't think it was we intentionally got it, but yeah, it's an interesting concept though. It is. And it's and it's a horrifying concept when you think about it compared to something like COVID, you know, which was, you know, it, it we, we're still in a pandemic, of course. Yeah. It's still dangerous if you're not vaccinated. But I um I was when I was reading about that, that's what sort of get you know created the seed for the story called the infection party. And um, it was I, it was inspired by a case um, where I think her name was uh, Corson Lee Davis or something like that. And apparently, um, according to sources, uh, she got COVID-19 because her mother took her to a party of teenagers and um, where somebody was apparently infected. She Corson apparently had some kind of... Um, other health problems she died and what what to me was fascinating was in the in the coroner's report um there is um there's reference to um how does how do they put it it was a um i have to look through my notes because i saved it um it was a uh, release party excuse me a release party and i don't know what it's called a release party what were you releasing is it the idea that you're releasing the virus or what what was behind that but that that was more or less a direct inspiration for that particular story that i wrote well that's really interesting and yeah i don't want to go too deep into covid stuff people who watch my stuff know i do not like covid i think people should be taking it more seriously i'm not here to preach or anything like that but at least with chickenpox that is immunity that can last and often does last your whole life the problem they're finding of course with covid is you know, natural immunity doesn't, I mean, it helps a little bit, it seems as if for severe illness and death potentially, but then there's people get reinfections and over and over again. And there's, I don't know how many times people can do that. And then there's also different variants. And of course the vaccines do uh, prevent the severe illness and hospitalizations. Doesn't seem to be great at preventing the infection. So the immunity concept with something like chickenpox versus COVID, it's it's like different. It's a different kind of thing. So it's tricky and that's the biology and, and whatever, but something with the, the miss, the misinformation stuff, but also like the immunity concept of not biological reality. So immunity can be seen as what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That concept, which 
can be sound psychologically, but also repeated trauma <laughs> doesn't necessarily always make you stronger too, but sometimes it does. So any mm -hmm. thoughts on that, not your psychological, not your, into, your opinion as a therapist, but just how that might tie into fiction, storytelling? Um, well, you know, hor horror fiction in general is a kind of inoculation, if you think yes. about it or horror in general, because um, if, you, you know, to paraphrase Wes Craven, you know, he said, I think at one point he said, horror is a boot camp for the psyche. And it's the idea that if you ingest enough of it, if you consume enough of it, that somehow, you know, life traumas, you're better able to withstand them. And, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's seeds of the elements of that idea and things like catharsis that, you know, you have to, if you emote, you know, as res response to art, for instance, in tragedy, your babe, you know, you are, you're practicing essential emotions that you need as a human being to deal with, you know, crisis or, 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 you know, catastrophe. So, you know, horror is kind of the, in the inoculation in a way. And, um, I, I as somebody who not only writes it but teaches it, I kind of I, I kind of preach that idea a little bit. As well, you should. I think that's right on. In 2020, I wrote an article called uh, "Horror Fiction as a Yeah Vaccination Against Fear" or something like oh, that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and so I think that idea has been around for a while, and I think it is sound. Obviously, some people don't respond well to stuff like that, and there's different sensitivities we have to different things, but I do think that, well, like we tell kids all sorts of monster stories, right? I mean, mm -hmm. all the Billy Goat's gruff. I mean, somebody gets horribly killed in almost every one of those stories. And right. are we scarring children psychologically like that? Maybe, but at the same time, they're going to be dealing with shit in life. So at least have a, what a Billy Goat killed and then start to just accept that we do live in a dark world. Right. And um, I, I've told this story before in different contexts, but I, I dedicated my first collection of my parents because they used to scare the shit out of me. And intentionally, they used to, when I was a little kid, they, they'd let me stay up all night and watch scary movies. And I, I remember vividly, because I'm a certain age, I watched The Son of Frankenstein on, on you know, Creature Feature or something at 11 o'clock at night. And then they wait, they, they'd let me walk down a dark hallway to my room at the end of the hallway um, by myself. And they'd hide in the other rooms and jump <laughs> out at me. And I mean, you know, when I told that story, I told that story at KillerCon, at a, during a panel at KillerCon. And um, I told my parents how I shared that story. And they said, they're going to think we're terrible people. And I said, no, that was great. That really kind of, I, that was practice for you know, the terrors of life that we confront. And that's that's what those of us who write this kind of fiction, I think that's kind of, you know, we were all scared of the dark hallway, you know, so to speak, and needed to practice that, practice responses to it. Yeah, I think I write stuff like I'm not, I'm, a, I'm afraid of certain things that other people aren't. And then a lot of the things that people are afraid of I'm not in the least bit afraid like I go out in the wilderness alone by myself all the time like in the middle of winter I don't think anything 
of that. Uh, I don't worry about like getting beat up places or, or anything like that. You know, as a guy, I guess that's, that's an easier thing to not worry about. But I do think that the fiction I write and read, I'm not trying to yeah, make the world a more horrible place or disturb people. I'm trying to be like, look, through the darkness into the light. I mean, some of my stories don't end that way, but I still think it is just about, yeah, resistance training to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And that's it what is. immunity is all about. How how can we get, how can we acknowledge that certain things are inevitable and how can we, in a sense, toughen ourselves up little by little? That's what a vaccine is, right? You get a little mm-hmm. bit of a little virus bit. or protein or whatever it may be. That's It's a sound thing. I mean, kids, little kids, babies particularly, they're always sticking things in their mouth that's thought to be because they have no gut genome and they're bringing bacteria and microbes into them because they have to. That's a positive thing. And there's even studies that show that kids who lived in a really antiseptic environment when they're young, I'm not talking about catching infectious viruses. I'm talking about, you know, no dirt or dust anywhere. They get they're more likely to have asthma later on because their immunity never gets boosted. You know, and I, I just want to make again the disclaimer: there's a lot of people that think therefore kids should just get every infectious disease all the time and that will make them stronger. Well, that's not often the case. Uh, reinfections right. of certain things are actually not a positive thing, but most stuff is not harmful. Dirt stuff like that. It might make us actually stronger. You put that stuff into our systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, some people go the other way and some people say, well, I don't want to get vaccinated. I just want to be exposed to all these different things. It'll make my system stronger. And of course, there's, you know, some truth to that, you know, to be exposed to things. But at the same time, that's not necessarily the healthiest, most wise way to go through life. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, there the jury's out on that, but it seems as if yeah, getting you can get colds a bunch of times. I don't, I don't know if getting cold a bunch of times really harms you over the long term. I also doesn't seem to help because there's so many different cold viruses out there. Right. So well, that's why we'll never be get herd immunity to colds is because there's too many of them, too many viruses involved to the common cold. Which I've got a bunch of them right now, so I I'm an authority on that. Good on you. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah, we, they need, they need to propagate somehow and we're doing the Lord's work of uh, spreading those viruses. That's, that's why they're there. And again, most of them are, that's the funny thing. So many of them are harmless and ironically so viruses in particular, bacteria, I guess, too, whatever, they don't want to kill the host. It's actually a stupid method for them. So the best thing that they can do is actually just keep people spreading or whatever so people get immune the immunity concept though is yeah i mean i don't want to go real far into the biological stuff that i don't even understand but talking about the misinformation element which i thought that was a really apt analogy so i guess the question is if misinformation whether it's about disease or just about whatever if that can be seen as a virus is there a way to get an immunity? How can we make ourselves immune to misinformation? You're a college professor. You're a professor, so you know. <laughs> well, it doesn't. It doesn't work to be exposed to too much information as a way to to vaccinate yourself from inf- misinformation, for sure. 
Um, it's it's a scary world, you know, where you know, you know, a post truth world, I guess, is how it's described, uh, or post fact. Um, it it to me it, it I've you know when I was originally going through grad school for literature, I was you know really kind of embracing postmodernism. And, you know, the idea that there's, it's a fluid reality, that there's really no set truth. And that's something as I've gotten older, it's, it's, it's becoming more alarming to me that we do need some set truths. We do need to agree on some basic facts in order to function as, you know, a society, as a democracy. And, um, you know, I, I live in Florida where it's, things seem more fluid here than ever um, in terms of how we, the things that we can agree upon. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it becomes a scary world in that regard. And, um, you know, like you, you were pointing out, there's, you're not necessarily somebody who's afraid. I think there's, and I was about to agree with you. I don't think a lot of things scare me, but I think, I think that does scare me. Yeah. It's the lack of a consensus reality that we have. That scares yeah. me too. Yeah, no, I mean, certain things do scare me, but it's just not the normal things that scare me. But uh, yeah, that is a frightening thing where people can just have totally different versions of reality. Now, of course, we don't really know what reality is, but we can at least say with a 99% you know, accuracy that, okay, gravity seems to be working this way. Right. On the Let's just call it good for now and not you know, try uh -huh. to pick this apart endlessly. It's kind of like you have to make decisions on certain things. And listen, I'm going to be open to the possibility of this. But for right now, I don't think that elves are real. Like, you know, I, I would say that's closer to something that I'd be more likely to believe that elves are real. But still, I'm going to like, you know, what? I'm going to go about my life. They are real. Oh, I wow. wish they were. <laughs> um, well, then they may or may. I don't think they are. I'm going to live my life as if they're not. If somebody wants to have some really compelling evidence okay I, I will you know remain that little bit open to it but yeah i think it is really dangerous when no one can agree on stuff whether they really believe it or not or they're just being obstinate and contrarian but yeah the irony is being exposed to more idiocy doesn't really help it actually can make no. you go down those rabbit holes but at the same time you don't want to not know and my take is always understand the opposing views so at right. the very least you can have an argument against them absolutely. don't shield yourself too much from it absolutely i mean that's we need dialogue we need argument we need to have some good rational arguments but to do that you got to agree on some basis first which is yeah. you know sometimes the problem is finding finding the common ground and and figuring out what what are the basic facts we can agree upon I mean, at the same time, writing fiction, I'm fascinated by the way people can create fictions. I mean, a lot of my work, that's ultimately like the beast of Vissaria County. There's a certain, like a lack of, you know, the, each character's kind of built their own sense of narrative out of the events of that book. And I, I'm fascinated by that process. I don't necessarily want to live in a world where everybody's creating their own fiction, but it's, to me, it's, it, it's an interesting process as a writer. Yeah, well, I think fiction's a great place for that. And I mean, I write about people chopping people's heads off. I don't want that in the real world. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, as a fiction writer, I think that's, I mean, that could be where we get a lot of inspiration too, right? From mm -hmm. silly ideas, maybe that we want to 
debunk or just play with. I don't always set out. I mean, I guess I am a little bit agenda driven in my fiction. I did write a piece a little while ago about should politics be in horror. I, I think I think it's impossible for us to take our politics or more accurately our values out of our mm -hmm. fiction. But I do like to try to give, you know, the the wrong side, not credence, but I like to play with it. I don't like to make things so black and white. I like to make it kind of gray. It's like, yeah, well, maybe this crazy person has a tiny point, and maybe this person who yeah. thinks everything they say is righteous maybe has something off. So that's just fun in fiction. Yeah, and and of course, you know, it's presumptuous to think that our worldview is the worldview. And that's something that I think we all need to be cognizant of. So I can see that. We'll never, we never know for a fact, but at the same time, it's like, if you're like, well, anything can mean anything, then you literally can't take a step during the day, right? We have to make decisions. I'm going to walk down this hall. Well, maybe this hallway is not the best hallway. Does Do hallways exist? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> then you could just, I mean, then you're just kind of, huddling in the floor in the fetal position going mad. So sometimes we gotta gotta pick a lane, you know, and I think it's like definitively pick a lane, but be open to that lane, changing that lane, you know, but it's a hard thing to do. It is a hard thing to do. And um, yeah. And I like your hallway metaphor because that brings me back to my story. You know, there's always, you know, ho hopefully your parents were hiding in a somewhere in that hallway to scare you, to make you a good horror horror writer or horror fiction reader today or and, movie viewer and maybe to make you a little bit immune to fear and the slings and arrows in life that are really inevitable you gotta yeah. go at some point the coddling tends to make us weaker at the same time the latchkey kid who's abused like that's no one's going to make an argument that that's good for them either so finding that what is that middle ground right and, who knows what that is, but at least we can play with that in our fiction. Yeah, yeah. It's the pendulum, the latchkey kids now to the helicopter parents, and maybe this maybe the pendulum swings back. Maybe, so, well, who the hell knows? Maybe the whole clock <laughs> falls apart. It's yeah. <laughs> impossible to say, but uh we'll all get we, sick and die, you know. That's so. <laughs> that's potentially the case. And if the virus gods want that, I mean then so be their will, you know how much we can do but it was really great to have you say where folks can find your work i know we said stuff already but maybe a website or where they can get a hold of you or whatever uh find me on facebook at douglas ford writes uh instagram and um you know my work is available on amazon and um anybody who like to you know sign copies or anything like that can reach out to me directly through social media Great. Well, Doug, it was really great to have you in my nightmare. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com, where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, 
If you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or Josh'sWorstNightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg.